0: joining us on this week's episode of Gayway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains, my family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today's podcast is about breaking trails in the Smokies. Today's beer is uh, by the Bronx Bre- Brewery, now use, now use Can't Leave. This is a, a double IPA. It's the second time I've done it on this show, but I liked it. so um, um, uh, I'm doing it. I'm going to North Carolina one next time. We have a lot of great uh, craft beers in the, in, in the mountains of North Carolina. Um, but first, I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel, a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a Mountain Heritage Trout Street, grill the catch on a fire and eat, accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Now, I will also, when you want to find out information about the Smokies, you need to go to SmokiesAdventure.com. That's plural Smokies, singular, adventure.com. It has lots of information and list- listings about the Smokies, about hiking, about guides for hiking, about trail maps and outdoor resources. The emphasis of Smokies event- Adventure is outdoor recreation, outdoor life events like weddings and adventures, along with providing information on lodging and family entertainment, events, and conventions, honeymoons and more. Its goal is to become the leading information portal of the Smoky Mountains. So, hello guys, how are you doing? So um, this is the this is the peak. This is the big tourist season for the Smoky Mountains because now we're getting into fall colors. They've just started. And in 2021, which we're in now, you, you want to be soaking in all the beautiful fall colors uh, that you need, I think everyone should do it at least once. Uh, it's worth the peace and tranquility of the views are worth the trip, not alone, not not not, not to mention all the things that you can do while they're here because everybody's open and everybody's doing things. Uh, as, a, as I just read the recent fall report the, what, about what's happening right now, and so we're actually expecting the leaves to turn to their full gar- gorgeous uh, fall c- colors uh, in the higher elevations around m- mid October, but now. Uh, continue in the lower elevations until mid-November. So the the fall foliage is going to be most vibrant while the temperatures are in the 70s during the day and drop into the 40s at night, which they are now starting to do. So you, you really th- can think of, I, you know, I would say that, you know, right now at the motel, we're seeing like everybody booked up right now this weekend and next weekend. But you know, the last weekend of October and the first win- weekend of November, there's still lots of availability. And I think that's going to be the peak. That's what this is saying is going to be the peak. So, you know, get, get out there and uh, grab your place to come out and see something that's just spectacular and a natural wonder of the, of the world. Um, So our guest today is Vesna Placanis. How are you doing, Vesna?
1: Great, thank you. How are you doing?
0: Fine. So I I forgot to read your bio, so let me do that real quick. (laughs) So you and your husband, Eric, are owners and operators of one of the oldest and most highly respected guides and tour services in the Great Smoky Mountains. It's called a Walk in the Woods, and it's located in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Now you're an award-winning company that was formed in 1998 and you've been featured in multiple publications and on television networks including among others Outside, Backpacker, National Geographic, Shape, Women's Health and the Discovery Channel, the Travel the Tra- Travel Channel and PBS. You and your husband are both dedicated environmentalists, along with your daughter and beloved pets, who reside on a 90-acre eco-camp in the mountains of Venice, East Tennessee. So welcome, Vesna. I'm glad to have you here.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> so first off, I was you know, doing a little research. I like to find out a little bit about the people coming on the show. So I read that you were a forager as a child. Uh, was that a common activity in your child in, in your family?
1: Well, my mother is French, and um, so we certainly, you know, went out into the into the yard and into the kind of local fields and woods and picked mushrooms and herbs and things like that. And then uh, my grandmother was a uh, full-on Iowa uh, Depression era farmer. And, um, you know, back in those days, you had to make do with everything. And so she really taught me a lot about like what to do with weeds <laughs> and um, <I> remember <laughs> going to her house and having, you know, dandelion, fried dandelion and, you know, dandelion um, salad. And so I thought, you know, learned about these things at a very, very young age.
0: Is that where you grew up? Is it in Iowa?
1: <laughs> no, I am what my husband calls an international mut- mutt. <laughs> uh-huh. I grew up all over the world, actually.
0: Oh, really? Um, give me some examples of where you lived.
1: Well, uh, I was born in Germany. My mother's French, so I spent some time in France, uh, lived in uh, Iran and Saudi Arabia.
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. uh, just a little bit of every place. <laughs> and when did you come to the United States? Well,
1: on and off from the time I was two. So my dad is a Midwesterner, and so we actually, uh, they they lived in Minnesota when he was growing up, and so Minnesota was kind of our landing pad, and we'd come go back and forth to, to Minneapolis area.
0: I see. And uh, during all this traveling around the world, did you get to do a lot of hiking and outdoor activities?
1: Um, well when i lived in saudi arabia i was actually in the girl scouts and we would camp out on sand dunes <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow <Really
1: cool. laughs> wow
0: well, you know i was um i you know being in the content marketing business saudi arabia has actually done this whole you know thing to try to be a more tourist-friendly destination. And so they were approaching us about doing some content marketing for them. And I got into researching them. And while there was a lot of problems that, you know, I didn't want to deal with at the, at the end of it, um, it really is a beautiful place for outdoor activity. It has a lot of amazing, you know, biking trails and, you know, desert rallies. And yeah, so it was, uh, it was quite an eye opening. do what what, 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 what you can do. <laughs> so Oh, you so you've had a great journey so um, but you 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 went up to college you got a communications degree right and, and you had a career in television
1: I did yep. yep marketing TV you know just the whole nine yards I was everything from advertising to copywriting to producer um, newscaster all of it
0: <laughs> Wow where did you do that
1: uh, in Illinois and then Knoxville
0: okay cool. <laughs>
1: And actually, Atlanta. I worked for the uh, the Olympics in '96.
0: Uh, that must. Well, that must have been an interesting time—the <laughs> bomb scare and everything, right? <laughs> uh, so, your husband Eric has also had a, a different career, and he's your partner, right? So, he he was an accountant, right? And then, uh, and then, pursued a field here. But when did you guys meet? Um.
1: Well, actually, he was living in Atlanta, and I was living in Knoxville, and he was dating a friend of mine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, now we get into the Peyton Place stuff. All right.
1: <laughs> I, broke <up. laughs> and I broke up, and I asked her if it was okay if I called him, um, but we were instantly, you know, there was a connection there as soon as we met, so I didn't steal him.
0: <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, that's great. Well, no, the the psychic uh, connection, you know just created an atmosphere. <laughs> uh, so, um, so when you two met, were you? Were, I mean, uh, you, you obviously developed some sort of bond around uh, nature and hiking because you made a career out of it, right? Yeah. Was, it, was it like instantly from the beginning?
1: Um, I think both of us just loved, you know, the natural world, and when we met, it was just kind of a. a Kismet. Um, but no, I, I, I was growing up in Minnesota, even though I was in Minneapolis, you know, we had woods in our backyard. Um, I was at, in school at the time, um, where they kind of had experimental things in the, you know, in, in public high schools. And so we had a required outdoor education program. And so from the time I was 12 years old, we had a climbing wall. We went to camp when we were, you know, kids, you know, at sixth grade, that was like required. Um, And so I just really got into the natural world Um, and moving around a lot. I was kind of a lonely kid. So Mm -hmm. it was very natural for me to just go out into the woods and find that solace um, and then Eric grew up in, uh, in New Jersey, right on the New Jersey, uh, New York state line in Maui, which is right off the Appalachian Trail. And so, you know, he played in the woods his whole you know childhood, too. And so both of us just love nature. And this is what we what we love to do. And then when he and I got married, we actually went backpacking and camping through Maui for two weeks. So.
0: Wow. So that's so from the beginning, you started your bonding over there. Wow. Yeah. So when did so you lived in Knoxville, I imagined, uh, and he was in A- Atlanta. So did you have your first experience of the Smokies together or separately?
1: No, I lived in Knoxville for several years. So yeah. we used to I li- worked at the TV station, and we used to go you know to the park and you know go camping and do picnics and go hiking. And um, so no, I I fell in love with the Smoky Mountains when I was in college, and my mom and uh, stepfather had lived in Knoxville. Um, it just moved down when I started college. So I came down fall break once and just, I just remember falling in love, coming over the Kentucky border and it was fall and just the colors were so vibrant and magical. And because I'd moved around so much, I'd never really felt at home anywhere instantly. You Uh know, like it just got under my skin. I felt at home.
0: And then, according to your website, your husband went on a ten-day vision quest in the Smokies, which then uh, really sort of set you on a path, right, to, of a shared passion.
1: Yeah, right. we were in Atlanta, and both in corporate America, and we're like, "Oh God, I don't want to do this the rest of my life." And um, so we were having these, you know, little picnics in in downtown Atlanta. And we're like, you "No, know, we really should do something like homestead in Alaska." <laughs> <laughs> That sounds crazy. And and we're vegetarians. So what would we eat? (laughs) So one day we, we, after one of these little picnics, you know, kind of vision, you know, like fantasy picnics, we went into a coffee house and picked up a magazine about a woman who left corporate America and started training under um, this naturalist school in North Georgia. And she actually left her job and went and lived off the land. And we're like, this sounds really cool. So um, we started taking classes from this guy at Medicine Bow. And um, that's really sparked our interest and got us kind of thinking about getting in this direction. And then, yeah, Eric went on his 10-day backpacking vision quest and came down. We picked him up, and he's like, I know what we're going (laughs) to (laughs) do.
0: There we go. So we're going to take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what you did. Hey, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with a gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest, Vesna Picanis. So, Vesna, you uh, were telling me you, you your husband came down from the mountain after a 10-day vision quest, and he had a, he had a vision of what you guys were going to do. What was that vision? What did you guys do?
1: Well, this is the most visited national park in the country. And a lot of people don't go um, more than a half a mile, you know, from the parking lot. And and he really s- saw that um, kind of on his 10 day backpacking trips when he'd come out and to the parking areas and people would be like, where did you just come from? And <laughs> this dirty mountain man who, has, you know, <laughs> has been backpacking for days. Um, so when he came out, uh, out of the woods after that 10 day uh, backpacking trip, he said, you know, I really feel like people we need to educate people, we need to get them out there and get them excited about what makes the split place um, so very special. Um, and so we started uh, to kind of do a business plan on, on you know, how we would create a guide service and, you know, how we would be more education oriented. So we didn't want to take people from point A to point B. Um, you know, we really wanted people to be immersed and experience what makes um, the Smoky so very special but also you know hoping that that would kind of filter out into the greater world so people could understand that you know we are part of this beautiful planet and um that was uh that was kind of a lofty goal but that's what we set out to do
0: and how how long did it take you when when, when was that the vision quest
1: uh it was a it was i guess in the summer of 96 so it took us a couple of years to sort of save money and figure out what, you know, the direction we wanted to take and exactly where we wanted to
0: live. And then in 98, you started your business. And what was your first money-making venture?
1: (laughs) So our first money, it's really actually funny because she came back last year. Um, But, you know, we started out, we went to like the outfitters, uh, you know, got to know everybody, the Chamber of Commerce, you know, T-shirts, we thought we would walk through the streets of Gatlinburg with our brochures and T-shirts and people would magically stop us and go, oh, take us for a hike. That didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but through a, a, a very good friend of ours who helped us with our website and um, you know, the Chamber of Commerce, people eventually started finding us. So our very first adventure was going up to um, Andrews Bald, which right now, by the way, is peak colors gorgeous Uh, Mm -hmm. so a bald is actually a high mountain meadow Andrew's bald is over 5,000 feet in elevation and so you've got this big wide open gorgeous natural space with you know just sea after sea uh, you know of mountains Um, and so we took one woman both Eric and I (laughs) for $14
0: (laughs) 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 You made sure she had a good time for that $14.
1: (laughs) And the the cute thing is she came back, I think, last year and hired us again. She brought some friends and she said, you know, I think I was your very first customer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What gave her a clue? That the two owners came along with her?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We tried. we pretend, oh, yeah, we're going to this for, you know, 10 minutes.
0: (laughs) But so then
1: it grew from there
0: well that's you know it's an impressive longevity I mean a small business um, you know since 98 you know that's what 23 years right most <laughs> most small businesses fail within the first five years right so uh, yeah I guess you, you're always evolving and looking for uh, better ways to do things I took a look at your website and you have an incredible you know variety of uh, things that you offer you also I looked and saw you have this incredible diversity of, of, of roster of guys, all ages and genders, and, and all very cl- clearly talented. You have like history, you know, people with history degrees and former park rangers and things. Um, so what, what, what do you, th- how did you build that roster of, of guys?
1: Um, you know, just getting to know people. We're very, we made friends with people in the park service and, um, Our daughter, actually, between, uh, I think, her junior and senior year interned at the park, and that's actually how we got one of our first guides who's been with us forever, our historian, Sam. Um, And then we just built a reputation. You know, Gatlinburg is a very small town, even though we get so many people. There's only 4,000 people in Gatlinburg, and so you pretty much know everybody, you know, you bump into people all the time at the grocery store. And so just by getting to know people. um, And I think we also have a reputation as, you know, a family oriented business. um, And that makes people very comfortable when they come to work for us. You know, we are very uh, clear about mentoring, um, helping to expand our guides. And so, um, you know, there's certain things that we want from our, from our staff, they have to be wilderness first responders, which we will pay for. Um, We also uh, promote, you know, outside larger, you know, education, Um, people want to become naturalists, certified naturalists, you know, we help with that with scholarships. Um, So we're very supportive in that respect. Um, And we also, uh, you know, any given time in our office, you might have a toddler running around or five dogs or, you know, last week we even had a one month old baby. Cause one of our guides just had a baby or one of our staff, um, you know, so I, I think we just try to be a very supportive kind of family environment, even though we now have 30 people on our staff, we just, we still have that core.
0: Cool. now I was, uh, I was you know, pleasantly surprised. So, but you know, you and your husband combined have, uh, Seventy years of outdoor experience, and, and you're going to say most of that your husband, right? So, but first ten but,
1: years, just the two of us taking the, people hiking and backpacking. Right,
0: yeah. So, but you are also not only hikers, but you're expert survivalists and historians. So, you were in marketing; he was in accounting. You had a vision quest. You came up here. So how did you learn about medicinal plants and tracking and survivalism? And how did you go about becoming experts at that?
1: Um, Well, a lot of it was when we first started taking those classes from um, the the naturalist school in in, uh, North Georgia. And that's run by a man named Mark Warren, Medicine Bow. Um, And he teaches those kind of primitive skills, but based on what the Cherokee used to teach and what the Cherokee used to use. And um, so that was a natural way for us to really start learning about um, the local natives of the area. And I love history, you know, having traveled all over the world, I'm very into cultures and understanding how, you know, people, you know, things move together and you can't have, um, you know, people moving into an area without understanding the environmental, um, you know, issues and, and what they're dealing with. And the Scotch Irish who came down here and, the fact that the Appalachian Mountains are, you know, part of a chain that goes all the way to Scotland, and so when people settled here, it felt familiar. And so I think it's just a natural thing when you are a guide in this area, you know, to sort of put all those pieces together. And we're we're as rich. In human history, as we are in diversity, we're the most biodiverse place in the world north of the tropics, but we also have the largest collection of human artifacts of any national park in the country, and so it all goes really hand in hand.
0: Wow. Now, I I, I was reading about you guys' depth of knowledge, and of course, you know, Bob Plott, who's uh, Who helps me with this program and is also a pretty fine uh, historian and understanding the smokes as well just has high things to say about you guys. Uh, But I also understand you're you're really great storytellers. I'm looking forward to hearing some of your stories. So you know a lot about the Cherokee and and uh, and the European settlers. You know how did you you know um, is is that something that's important on your on your taking people out?
1: Oh, yeah. We, we very much whenever and even as we're mentoring and training these new guides, you know, one of the things we really try to emphasize is that, you know, you're not just going, ah oh, this is a tree and this is that, you know, you're really trying to weave something together. Um, and I was an English uh, major before I became um, kind of a, a into communication uh, which I guess is all part of the same thing um, but I really look at being a guide as being um, a storyteller you know it's an arc it's you know you're introducing characters and you're introducing a plot and you know then there's drama and then at the end you know the you're bringing it all together um, and this is such a natural place to tell these wonderful stories
0: what's a, what's a favorite story you tell oh <laughs> <laughs>
1: I've got a lot of them. Um,
0: well, a quick uh, one, a quick one. one. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. It's not like yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, well, let's see. Let me. So, so what I love about this one. This is the uh, the Cherokee creation story. And um, what I love about that is that somehow they had this understanding of how these mountains were really created, that, you know, we used to have an ocean here. And the story goes that long ago, um, this the earth was just this big blue globe and there was nothing but water and all the plants and animals lived in the sky vault. And the animals were giant animals. And as time went on, population expanded and there wasn't a lot of room. And so they looked down at this place, which was the great blue globe. And they said, maybe we can move down there. But all they saw was water. And so they sent the little water beetle, who was a great swimmer, down to explore to see if he could find some land. And he went down this web that had been spun by a spider. And he went down and he started to swim and look for earth and he couldn't find any. So he dove down and he found some mud and he brought the mud up. And as he brought it up, it expanded into earth. But it was too soft. It was muddy so he went back up and he told everybody and so the animals sent grandfather buzzard this gigantic bird to look for dry land and he was a big bird and he he flew and he flew and his wings were so gigantic but after a long time he could only find that money got so tired and as he flew and got more tired his giant wings hit the earth and made valleys and when he brought him back up they made mountains and after a while, nothing but mountains and valleys. And the animals said, come back, come back. And he did. And that is how he created the Appalachian
0: Mountains. Oh, a great vulture.
1: <laughs> Buzzard, that's right. And if I have time, just finish it real quick. The sun thought it was so beautiful that the sun took a trip. She went from east to west. And as she went over, she was so in love with this area and she dried it all up and all the animals and plants were able to come down to the Appalachians.
0: Fabulous, fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that story. Uh, So uh, I want to talk more about stories and more about uh, bears when we come back. Okay. (laughs) This is Joseph Franklin McElroy, back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast, and my guest, Vesna Placanis. So, Vesna, um, you know, when uh, people come visit uh, the motel or talk to me up here, even up here in New York, about the Smoky Mountains, they ask. Yeah, when they're at, to start asking a little bit about things, they ask about wildlife, and they always ask about two things now. Uh, it used to be always about the black bears, and then now they talk about elk, of course, as well because it's become somewhat famous. When you're out out there, I'm, I'm sure you've had some bear encounters on the trails. And, you know, been been what almost a quarter of a century now. Do you have any interesting to- stories about that?
1: Um. Well, you know, I've always, you run into them once in a while, especially different times of the year. Um, I did have a a group that I was taking on a four-day backpacking trip and um, was hearing uh, sounds kind of, you know, on the shelter, around the shelter and, you know, in the middle of the night, kept getting up, didn't see anything. Um, And then I heard a jingle, jingle, jingle and ran out to the place where you hang your backpack. So, you know, there's these steel cable pulleys, you hang your backpack. And there was this little yearling, um, not a very big bear that was trying very, very, very hard to shake and get our, our backpacks, you know, down off those hooks. Um, and I was able to, you know, kind of chase them away and, (laughs) and, uh, but apparently, uh, some of the Appalachian Trail thru-hikers, I'm assuming it's the same one, later saw the same um, little bear, uh, you know, actually trying to learn how to unhook it. So he was trying very hard to kind of work on that hook so he could unhook that, uh, that pack. So bears are incredibly smart.
0: Wow. Well, you know, the reason I asked that is because I read that you got training with well, a bear expert uh, known as the Bear Whisperer, his name was Steve Searle, right? Uh, and what was it? What, what did he train you guys? What was his abilities?
1: So actually, Steve Searle um, was on Animal Planet for a while. Uh, I think it was a show called The Bear Whisperer. Ah. And uh, the park and the town of Gatlinburg uh, back in, uh, I guess, around the year 2000, We're really trying to understand, you know, how to operate as a gateway community, you know, because bears don't understand boundaries. Um, And so when, you know, when the smells are coming from, you know, the restaurants and food season is maybe not so great, you know, mast crop in the park is not so plentiful. Or it's that in-between time before all the nuts start falling. You know, the bears will kind of start coming out and they'll get into trash. They'll get into, you know, um, they'll go over to cabins and restaurants and things like that. Um, So Gatlinburg hired this expert, Steve, to come and talk to, um, you know, people who are working in the national park. So we were part, it was sponsored by the American Humane Society. And uh, we were part of a group that spent an entire weekend with Steve really learning how to live with bears. And um, there's uh, basically it's called a non-lethal bear aversion uh, technique, which includes noise. Bears hate noise. Um, So, you know, you hear about ah wave your arms and yell. Um, But there's there's other steps to that, you know, throwing things because they they don't understand. You know, that that concept of something being thrown at them Um, in extreme cases. And of course, you as a guide or, you know, a person in the park can't do this. But um, like if you have it around your house um, and our eco camp, we set off fireworks and (laughs) it's take off dogs, same thing. And so it's all these ways to teach bears that there is um, a, a separation. And then once they get to the place that they need to be. You give them silence. So you're really, really, really loud, like that bear that you know I saw that was trying to work with that uh, the backpack on the cables and make a bunch of noise and scream and act like idiots. And then as soon as they get to a location where it's okay for them to be, you're quiet. And wow. then just a like the dog, you know, they're like, Oh, okay, I can be here, but I can't be here. And it's a bear. method.
0: Wow. So you train them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> So um, you know, um, you know, this has been an interesting time with the pandemic, and you know, in the mountains, I've had to you know experience. You know, I put in a, a, a vaccine mandate, had a little bit of trouble with that, and got written up in the papers about you know, uh, you know how I ended up having to clean rooms. How's the has how the pandemic uh, affected your your um, your business, and how have you responded?
1: Uh, well, last year was a struggle. You know, the park closed down for three months with good reason. Um, so it was, it was a, a shift. We lost a lot of our staff only because we didn't know when we were going to open back up again. Um, our major cl- uh, client is REI and um, they're about 70, 60 to 70% of our business And REI stopped operating last year altogether. Oh, wow. So we had no adventure program. So that really hurt. Um, but, you know, we pivoted. We, we, uh, I was lucky. Our, our daughter, who is now a, an adult living in Boston, um, she was actually working with the um, uh, Center for Global Health and Security uh, at Harvard. And so she was kind of able to give us a heads up and let us know what was happening um, before a lot of other people did, and so we started putting protocols in place and rewriting our handbook and all that, and and um, you know we were able to limp along. Um,
0: and now, all, now all your all your uh, all your all your guides and all your programs are all very safe and, and for COVID and all that sort of stuff, which is I think important to let people know. Yeah, there is a ways to make everything you know, secure for people. I mean, like you, we mentioned that offline, you know, safety of, of the, of the, of the inhospitality is is paramount, right? So, and we both believe in that. I think that's great. You know, I'm also, um, you know, I, I was reading and, you know, the Metal Arc Motel was the only three pine rated uh, lodging facility uh, west of Asheville. Uh, and it's the state of North Carolina's ecological, you know, how high you rated, and things like that. So I see that you're you're you're, you're a superstar in environmental issues. You you testified testified before Congress in 2016. Uh, can you tell us about that?
1: Um, so it goes way back to uh, actually uh, the the mid 2000s when both my husband and I had uh, what turned out to be ozone-induced asthma attacks as we were hiking and uh, leading groups. And um, the air quality was so bad that they were warning people not to go out into the into the mountains. Um, and so, uh, you know, we never had that before. We didn't understand what it was. Uh, so we became came part of a class action lawsuit against TVA Uh, to, you know, help have them uh, add scrubbers and take a lot of their very old, ancient, um, polluting smokestacks offline. So eventually, they actually ended up closing um, 18 power plants that were so bad and they had been grandfathered in. And then, um, you know, we helped with a lot of other environmental groups to force TVA to add scrubbers to all of their uh, smokestacks So the air quality and the plant life as a result went from, you know, being hazardous sometimes and only seeing, you know, five, six miles, 10 miles to now you're seeing on an average day, you know, 60 miles or more. And, um, you know, it's not uncommon to have, you know, 200 mile visibility days, and so, uh, when the EPA was looking at, um, you know, strengthening these um, these uh, you know regulations, I was invited to um, to go to DC, and um, and was able to tell my story about what it was like to have an ozone induced uh, asthma attack.
0: Wow, wow, that's great. So um, I, I really appreciate that work because I'm very adamant about, you know, we got to be preserving these. I mean, the reason the Smokies were created in the first place was because of, uh, you know, concerns for the deforestation of the Smokies. So, you know, um, you know, ecology, and, uh, environmental issues are sort of a fundamental aspect of the founding of the Smokies. Um, you, you live, you know, and speaking of eco, you live in a 90 acre piece of heaven known as the eco camp. That's what I read on your website. But what, what does that mean? <laughs>
1: um, well, we have a 90 acre piece of property that is surrounded by national park. And um, we also have an eco camp there. And so there's, um, off the grid, um, you know, kitchen and bathrooms and, you know, tent platforms and, and things like that. And so, um, we're very lucky. It's a beautiful piece of land
0: in Cosby it's not glamping right it's it's oh no it's it's glamping yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) all right (laughs) so eco-friendly glamping everybody out there we got the we got the source for that right uh that's cool that's really cool um now you have won a numerous awards I saw that you're an award-winning uh uh firm company what tell me about some of the awards that you've won
1: uh, well, the one we're most proud of is uh, in 2012, my husband won um, top guide for REI adventures for REI. And, um, you know, that's against, uh, you know, that's a worldwide uh, honor. And so we were actually able to go out to Seattle and there was a big ceremony and he spent a whole week with other guides from around the world. Um, and so that was that was pretty exciting.
0: Oh, cool. And, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So we've actually had two guides that were uh, REI top guides.
0: Oh, really? Wow. So, um, so, uh, so what are, what are the, um, so what are the, some, what are the, some of the top tours that people can take with you?
1: Uh, well, it really depends on the time of year. Like right now we have a fall color tour. That's obviously very popular and we'll kind of chase the leaves and take people out to, you know, where the best spots are. Um, we're also, um, we're very family oriented. So, uh, kind of one that's near and dear to my heart is uh, our program called exploring nature with children. And, you know, kids are so overscheduled and they're, you know, on their phones and all that. So it's an opportunity to just get them out and get them dirty and playing in the mud and looking for bugs and, you know, eating wild foods under supervision, of course um and uh you know it's always just such a hit so anything that's kind of family oriented where we can get the kids out there um is near and dear to my heart
0: how about three-year-old toddlers i got twin toddlers so uh, you got something for them
1: <laughs> actually the exploring nature with children is perfect for them they oh, really love- Stuff. oh yeah we're looking for salamanders we're playing in the streams you know they're just splashing around and they're having a ball yeah that's that is a great hype for kids
0: all right well then uh, next time i bring him down we're gonna have to set that up right perfect <laughs> oh yeah cool so um what what besides the kids tours? I mean, you do driving tours, things like that. But what I, I, I actually have to take a break now. But I want to talk about a little bit more of what you offer in terms of the tours and what what people interesting in the Mountain Smokies might find interesting to do. Joseph Franklin McElroy back with my guest Vesna Plakins, Placken, sorry Plakanis on the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. So um, Vesna, um, we we're talking about tours and uh, and things that do. What are some of the favorite hikes that your your customers want to go on?
1: Well, everybody wants to see a waterfall, so <laughs> <That's, laughs> we're always doing waterfall tours, and we have some great waterfall tours. We like to take people that the less popular ones where there's not a you know gazillion other people. Um, you know to see the tops of the mountains, uh, people are really into the history of the area and uh, so we have a lot of historic tours uh, that are very popular. Um, I actually just taught a class on wild edibles and medicinal plants the other day and those are always fun. Um, you know, we have burgers on staff. So it kind of depends on what people are, are into and also what the season is. You know, what, what is the season bringing? And right now the season is bringing colors. We've had a lot of rain. So any water hike is just gorgeous. So, um, you know, upper elevations. I think I mentioned Andrew's Ball. That's one of my favorites. and This is the time to be there because it's just everything's peaking up there.
0: So do you lead foraging tours and end up doing cooking or cooking classes and things like that?
1: I have in the past. Yes. Usually what I do is what, um, you know, we'll have like a kind of a classroom setting where I'll I'll teach people how to identify plants. And I usually bring a few things for people to try depending on what's going on in the season.
0: I have have an interest in talking about that because we're putting in a camp kitchen at the metal arc and we want to do some uh, interesting classes like that. So that could be a a way to, you know, people come and get a taste and then go up in the mountains and actually find the stuff. <laughs> um, so um so what <laughs> this is always a good question. I like to put a little competition into this now. Uh, you have the Tennessee side of the Smokies and the North Carolina side of the Smokies. What are your favorite what's your favorite hike on the Tennessee side? And which one's your favorite hike on the North Carolina side and which one's better? And I hit hit, hit I'm on the North Carolina side. <laughs>
1: Okay, that's put me on the spot. But you know, so I will I will preface this by saying, you know, the Smokies, as I mentioned, are the most biodiverse place in the world in the temperate zone. And every season is different. Every week is different. And so really, every hike is going to be different. Um, but I have to say my personal favorite in the in Tennessee is um, the Ramsey Cascade and Ramsey is so special because it's deep in the woods there's not a lot of other trails back there you're hiking by this gorgeous gigantic body of water with lots of white water and little cascades and um, you're going through some old settlement areas because as we mentioned people used to live in these mountains before it became a park and then all of a sudden you get into this old growth section of park and one of the things that makes us so biodiverse is that we contain so much old growth forest and about uh, two and a half miles in, you start getting into these massive trees and lush mosses. And, and during wildflower season, you know, the entire hillsides are painted in wildflowers and, you know, you get in these trees that would take six to seven people to put their arms around. I mean that you just can't beat. That's an amazing, experience um, to see that. And then it ends up at this gorgeous giant waterfall. Um, So I really love that hike. That's actually the very first hike I took my husband on when we were first dating um, to get him excited about the Smokies. Um, And then I'd have to say probably in North Carolina, I really love the Cataloochee area. Um, So there's a lot of really neat, especially this time of year, Um, you know, hiking up pretty hollow gap and seeing some of the views um, and in the springtime, seeing all the wildflowers, Um, hemp hill bald right now and to see all the gorgeous, um, you know, fall colors. But what makes Cataloochee so special is, especially in October, you get to hear the elk bugling. Yes. Eating season. So.
0: So you get to experience upfront and personal the wildlife that is so famous for the Smokies. Yeah, wow. that's cool. If, if people can't do a hike, you 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 are also offer, offer car tours, right? So sure. what would you what would you say is the best and most popular car tour?
1: Um, well. Everybody loves Cades Cove. You know, if they've never even been to the park, a lot of times they go to Cades Cove. Cades Cove could actually be its own national park. It's to 3 million visitors a year. And Cades Cove is beautiful because it's this big, wide open area that is a giant sinkhole. And so you have lots and lots of, you know, expansive views. You're surrounded by mountains. And it's also very historic. So you get a lot of the old cabins and barns and cemeteries and old mills um, that show people what it used to be like like when the European uh, settlers lived here. Um, And then prior to that, it's got some Cherokee history. Uh, So that's a super popular one. Um, We like to go at certain times of the year because otherwise it gets very, very crowded. And going on the weekend, unfortunately, gets to be a little prohibitive. But that's a popular one. Um, And then we've got another one that we take them up into the upper elevations all the way up to Clingman's Dome. So they can kind of see all the different eco zones from, you know, the low elevation, thick woods up until the upper elevations when you're in a Canadian zone forest. So it's really fun to see that.
0: Cool. So um, you've worked with Bob uh, developing the Meadowlark Smoky Mountain Heritage Center Tours. Can you tell me what those and, and hikes? Can you tell me what those two initial products are? And I think they're going to be available starting in November, right? Yes.
1: Yeah, so we're excited. I love working with Bob. He's been wonderful. Um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to start with uh, a, an up elevation hike, and we're also going to be doing something that's very historic in nature um, in the uh, Smokemont area of the park. And um, Smokemont um, has a lot of layers of history. It's got uh, a waterfall, but it's also got an old CCC camp. It's got um, s- some of that area was logged. There was settlers living there. You drive by the kind Lefty Visitor Center, um, which is a working farm. And you also get to see the elk. And so I think that'll be a really nice kind of, you know, introduction into that side of the mountain.
0: That's fabulous. So if people want to find out more about you and to book tours with you directly, what, where would they go? What would they do? So our
1: website is awalkinthewoods.com, and um, you can, um, you know, see all of our tours. We have uh, a lot of North Carolina tours. We have, um, you know, everything from short, easy walks to multiple night backpacking trips, um, or they can just give us a call, um, you know. So either way is fine with us. They probably want to look at our website first because it'll give you a whole variety and get get you to understand what we do.
0: Any social media?
1: We're on Facebook and Twitter.
0: All right. Well, I really appreciate you uh, being on our show today. I'm, and I'm glad to be doing some things with you, too. It's going to be wonderful. Um, I think it's, uh, there's lots of opportunity for people to experience the mountains. And I love having both you know, the ability to be outdoors in a physical sense, but also uh, the ability to do something fairly quickly in a, in a tour. So uh, thank you so much. It's been, I think, terribly enlightening for me. Um and like then uh, so I want to uh, mention that we are on the TalkRadioNYC network, which is a network uh, of a lot of live podcasts, um, uh, and, and I, th- I recommend it for anybody to listen. We have a wonderful show coming after us about New York. Um, and uh, it's uh, um, something that everybody should uh, uh, take an opportunity to listen to. Uh, at the Arc, you know, like I mentioned before, we're having a, it uh, looks like a late season fall peak. Uh, so we're, we're actually uh, offering weekday getaway specials. Uh, if you come in on Sunday or Monday and you stay three days, you get one night free. Um, and so it's a real wonderful way to get in at, uh, to see the, the falls, uh, colors when there's not a lot of people necessarily coming. And you can go to the metalogmotel.com and just book a room for three days starting on Monday or, or Sunday or Monday, and you'll get that special. It's been a pleasure being on this show with you. And I look forward to seeing you next week. We always have our uh, podcast on Gateway the Smokies. Um, Dot Fun. The live uh, broadcasts are always on there, as well as on our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash KWay Smokies Podcast. And uh, and next week we will have uh, from six to seven again another show, and so it'll be something that I look forward to seeing. You. Thank you very much.